global shortages are causing farm input costs to skyrocket. A better way to farm shows you how to take control of inputs and maximize profits so you can farm the way you want. Now, from America's heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here at A Better Way to Farm. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode, and it's going to be a good one, and it's going to be a moneymaker. So grab yourself a notebook and get ready to take some uh, notes down here on some things that you might want to do. We're going to talk a little bit about the industry and some of the things that are happening in it and some of the things that maybe can be done in order for you to make more money, and it doesn't necessarily listen to the people out here banging the drums the loudest. And so today, we are really honored. We have an individual who's super busy. I'm actually going to get the opportunity to meet him next week. He's one of my heroes in this industry, and I'm super excited to get a chance to meet him, and I'm really excited that he's here to share with us today. Please welcome to the call, Dr. Richard Mulvaney. Thank you for joining us, Doc. Hey, Rod. It's a pleasure to be with you. So we were talking earlier, you know, talked about some of the work that you're doing. Let's talk about some of this nitrogen work that you've been doing with the N15 specifically. Give the people who may not know anything about it some background so they can understand what you're doing. Sure thing. So the story begins with the fact that there are two isotopes of nitrogen, and they are both stable, which presents problems, but also makes it possible to use them in the field with no environmental problems. And so we set out to do a series of studies, we did four altogether so far, in which we make use of what is called N15, which is the heavy isotope. We use fertilizers that are labeled with that isotope, and then that makes it possible for us to experimentally measure how much of that isotope ends up in the crop. Could be the entire biomass above ground, or just the grain. We did both. And so we get a quantitative estimate of the efficiency of that fertilizer for getting into the crop. That's what it's all about. And this isotope makes that possible. So we set out to do four of these studies beginning in 2016. That work was done with close collaboration uh, with my former student, Kelsey, who is now at North Dakota State. And uh, we worked closely with Tim Smith and his team at CropSmith near Farmer City. That's where the field plots were set out, was near Farmer City, west of Champaign. We started with fall-applied ammonia. That was quite a challenge, believe me. (laughs) (laughs) And and we, we learned a whole lot about it as we went through the process of building an apparatus to handle and to make the N15 labeled ammonia. And then Tim had the toolbar and the capabilities to inject that into plot scale areas. So I, I really enjoyed that work and uh, really want to do some more of it. It was very interesting. So when we harvested the corn crop that was grown the following year, we began to discover, well, something we had honestly had expected, and that was that a lot of that N from ammonia never made it into the corn crop. We had efficiencies ranging from uh, about 12 to about 34% in the grain, and the average was 21%. That was over the course of two growing seasons and six experimental sites. And interestingly, the site with the lowest fertilizer efficiency, the 12%, that was the site 
that had the, the highest nitrogen supplying power. Just imagine that. So the soil was supplying more in and the crop took up less fertilizer. Now that's a message that doesn't play too well with the fertilizer industry. You know, this is the season of the year when the white tanks begin to come out onto the fields and we get the fall applied ammonia. But the work we did showed clearly that the majority of that end will never make it into the crop. So that, that's quite an interesting finding. And, and uh, actually, at the time, I was thinking maybe the uptake efficiency would be even lower than it was. <laughs> I had serious doubts. <laughs> <laughs> So it's maybe it's, not the best management practice that could be used in uh, handling in fertilizer. So that was the beginning of our work with these tracers. And then we pretty quickly broadened it out into three other studies, which were looking at starter fertilizer as one of those. And then we did in-season applications with Y-drop versus knife for side dressing. And then we had another study comparing different forms of nitrogen uh, when they were applied in season by Y-drops. So all that work was done using N-isotopes in order to track the fertilizer. That's the best way of doing it. So maybe that'll give you some notion of what we've been up to with these studies. You know, I appreciate that, Doc. And if I could interject, it's funny because you guys have done this work. I'm re- I've been around this industry quite some time. I remember Dr. Alfred Blackmere from Iowa State University. And I know that he did a study and they had a, as I understand it, they had a a big dinner for the Fertilizer Association to talk about how much nitrogen we were using and and how much more they thought he was going to say we needed to. And when he walked to the microphone, he blew him away because he said the same thing you said. He said, uh, guys, our results are ironclad. We did, they did thousands of studies. He said, beyond the shadow of a doubt, we're overusing nitrogen in the state of Iowa. At that point in time, I believe the number he used was a million dollars a year per county. And there's 99 <laughs> counties. And that was back in the 80s. Okay. Um, so that's so quite, Ron, quite a bit of money. Ron, let me just interject one thing here. Yeah, I knew Fred Blackmer. I worked over at Iowa State in the same lab he did. And I well remember having breakfast with him one morning in 1988, I guess it would have been autumn of 88, we got to talking about this subject you just raised. And he told me they had done work with nitrogen isotopes to estimate the uptake in the crop. And what he told me was there wasn't much uptake. And he was wondering, why are we using all this nitrogen fertilizer? (laughs) So he got the jump on me. We didn't get into this topic until later on. But our findings are very, very consistent with his. That's awesome. And then I'm reminded, I have a son with a PhD, and he went to a meeting last year of the, I believe it was the Illinois Soybean Association, and they had commissioned a study talking about, they didn't get into the rate necessarily. What they were looking at was what method of application causes the most loss. And it was interesting because he said that they they were like, beyond the shadow of a doubt, fall applied anhydrous suffers the most loss. And he said, I went out into the hallway at break, and these same farmers who had paid dues to the Soybean Association, who had funded this study to find the truth, that's what they were looking for, and they said, don't do this. And the guy said, well, that, it, my farm's different. It, it isn't like that on my farm. 
And my son was just like, I just wanted to go smash my head against the wall. It was like, guys, I have no dog in this fight, but I'm sitting here watching you guys refute the information that you paid to get. And I think that's one of the things that's hard, Doc, for me, is that the truth is out here. We just have to embrace it. You're so right. And one of the most interesting things that came that has come out of our field studies with this N15 technology is that the fertilizer uptake efficiency, when we apply in season on some of the same sites where we were also doing the fall applied ammonia work, what we found was that the uptake efficiency was no better applying in season as opposed to in the previous fall. I never expected that. I assumed it would be far better if we feed the plants when they're there and ready to take it up. But it was pretty similar to fall applied ammonia. And that leads me to the view that instead of losses uh, through processes like leaching and denitrification, it seems to me that the main constraint on uptake efficiency is how much in the soil can supply. I think that's a main driver that we're seeing. Now, I don't debate the issue that fall applied ammonia is subject to greater losses. Clearly it is. But still, when we found these uptake efficiencies were so comparable, it, it, it has to reflect the soil supply. Absolutely. Can I throw you a curveball here? Because you've really sure. triggered. Every time I talk to you, you trigger a lot of thoughts in me. And I was thinking about there's one particular company. I'm not going to name them, but they talk about the fact that their product replaces X amount of pounds of N. And based on what you just said, I have a theory, and I want to know if you think I'm barking up the wrong tree or not. I want you to be brutally honest. I think that a lot of these companies selling nitrogen replacements or some kind of a bacteria that I think will do this, I don't know whether those products work or not. I'm not going to say they do, and I'm not going to say they don't. But I think that they are successful because I think on a lot of soils, you could go out and apply 300 pounds of nitrogen, and you could go strips right beside them, apply 100 pounds of nitrogen, and get exactly the same yield. Now, yeah. do you agree with that? Absolutely. And I have exactly the same view that you do about these biologicals. They might work. They might not. I, I can't say at this point. But I think the soil has covered their tail for, in such a profound way that, that when they can back off the end rate and still get the yield, well, looks good for the product, but in fact, the soil may be paying the tab. That's what I think too. And I, you know, I, I am a little bit, I, because I think the testing should all be, if they're going to use, let's use those numbers. Let's say it's 300 pounds. It's a hundred pounds plus this new product. I think there should be strips with a hundred pounds without the product, because the real test is, is there a difference between the two shots of 100 pounds? And I'm not convinced that's going to be there, but I believe that's a testing that should be done. For guys listening, yeah, yeah, I encourage yeah. you to do that. Do you agree with me, Doc? 100%. Yes. Okay. Here's an, an added story that relates to this, uh, coming from some in-response trials that I heard about in Iowa. It was focused on how much in the soil can supply. And to demonstrate that, they set out in-response trials with different end rates going all the way down to zero. And the trials were set out right near this farmer's house. So he could keep an eye on this regularly throughout the season. And he was watching it like an eagle. <laughs> and, and to his astonishment, the crop in that field that got no fertilizer in looked just as good as the, as the crop that got the 300 pounds. 
He couldn't believe it. In at the end of the growing season and harvest, there was no difference in yield. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and it's it's funny because I talked to one of our. We try to get our guys to nitrogen is something, and I tell the guys I don't want to do something that makes it so you don't sleep for six months and you have a stroke. And when you start talking about going from three hundred to zero, they're going to stroke out. There's no question. And so I find there, you know, from a healthy standpoint, it's cheaper to put some on and not not have health issues. But a lot of our guys have figured out they're really comfortable. I had a guy call me Monday and he was like, Rod, we grew 300 bushel corn on 0.62 pounds. And our guys are all gunning for 0.6, 0.7 applied and then working down. we got a lot of the guys down to around 0.3. But that's a process. And the guys have to do the work on their own farm in order to prove this to themselves. What kind of encouragement would you give the guys to do some on-farm work like this to see what they can do from a reducing the applied amount? You know, the kind of advice that we've given over the years when this came up was to be conservative. I totally agree with you that just going cold turkey with a zero end rate, that's more than a lot of people can take. And it needs to be done in, in stages. So start to cut back the normal end rate incrementally and just keep track of, of how the yield varies, if it does. That kind of approach is going to make the farmer feel better. Uh, it won't stress him out nearly so much. And I think it can help cut those end rates and bring them closer to a point that is realistic to what the soil can supply. Absolutely. And do you feel like that then they're going to say, well, I had all that and it was left over from last year, but can it do this year after year? What's your opinion on I assume that what you're saying here, I want to confirm this, is that basically in organically, so to speak, naturally, the soil is going to be able to produce a certain amount of nitrogen every year. Correct. And so, yes, we hear about this legacy in or this residual in from a previous fertilization, but that's really not the key here. The key is that the soil is biologically active. And nitrogen is being liberated from the organic reserves tied up in organic matter. And that soil is producing a lot more in than we've given it credit for in the vast majority of cases. And so when we undervalue what the soil supplies, it's going to lead us toward excessive in fertilization. And that's been a very common issue in the Midwest. And so can we also agree that, and the, the problem here is, is I say that nitrogen and potash are a lot like uh, methamphetamine. The more you take now, the more you got to have later. Is that a safe analogy? <laughs> okay, I wouldn't extend it to potash. But for nitrogen, yes, I'm inclined to agree with you that as we dope up the soil with higher end rates, we are literally interfering with the natural process by which N would be released from the soil organic reserves. We are stimulating the microbes, and what they're going to do is attack organic carbon because that's their fuel. And so over time, it has the effect of depleting soil organic matter, and that's going to deplete N supply. But potash is a different animal, a very, very different animal. We'll revisit that on another day. I know you have some opinions there, but I don't want to get sidetracked today. But we'll have another call with you here. and We'll revisit the whole potash thing. But I, you know, I appreciate it. I'd like to talk just a little bit. I mean, your work is unequivocal, and I believe you're getting ready to release some of this study. Is that correct coming up here in the near future? Well, we published these four papers 
uh, well, three of the four papers were published this year, and a press release went out in June about this. We are planning more work with the isotopes and uh, field studies with corn, and that work will get started this fall. We've ordered the label ammonia, made the investment, and uh, we're going to team up with Tim Smith again and start a new series of plot studies. And the focus of this new round will be to compare different end management regimes with commonly used strategies, the kind of things farmers do and use. So we're going to have fall applied ammonia. That's going to be coupled with some spring applied uh, in one of the treatments. We're going to look at side dressing again with UAN. And we're going to do all this at the same sites in the same growing season. That's real important. So you can compare the uptake efficiency with these different fertilizer regimes. That's our whole purpose. And we're also going to couple it with end response trials at each of those sites in the growing seasons we study. So I'm really looking forward to this. To this. And I've got a feeling it's going to, again, point out that a lot of that end never makes it into the crop. Yeah, I'm super excited about this too. And when we get together, I got a couple of questions I'm going to do off air with you about that study. But one thing for the guys listening here, Dr. Mulvaney, where can they find these three studies that are already published? What would be the easiest way for them to get on Google and find them? What do they type in to look for them? All three of those studies, plus the anhydrous ammonia study from 2019, when it was published, they all appeared in the Soil Science Society of America journal. They're all in the same journal. And I can email you the links for these four papers. And maybe that's the best way to handle it. If you would do that, that'd be great. And we'll post those on our Facebook page. We've got several followers there and they can go. And guys, if you're listening, after you hear this, you should be able to go to that and, and search. We'll post those links. I would really appreciate that, Dr. Mulvaney, if you could do that. Well, I, I want to kind of, I know you're super busy. You've got tests to write to torture students, as you've been doing for many years. And I, <laughs> I respect that. I love talking to your former students. You know, you probably don't know this, but there's two groups. Some of them love you, some of them not so much. Uh, <laughs> but they all respect you. That's the key. Even the ones that were kind of, I think, terrified, so to speak, they all respect you. But let's talk a little bit here. I know that just today you were talking about a, a colleague of yours who received an email discussing the work that you guys are doing here. Let's talk about that email and how that plays out into the uh, agricultural marketplace today? Well, the the gist of the email, as far as I know, I haven't actually seen the message myself, but it was taking our work to task because it was not well received by the fertilizer industry. So I'm talking about these isotope studies done in the field. And so, yes, it's true that if the uptake efficiency is not very high, that doesn't play real well with fertilizer sale. Yeah, that, that's quite <laughs> true. Uh, but, of course, my response and my former students' response as well, it's our job to generate scientific findings of the highest quality and deliver truth to the public, which includes the farming community. We don't work for the fertilizer industry, and our job is not to sell fertilizer. And I respect that. And if you'll recall, my response to that was, it bothers me that we have certain researchers who are really trying to just prove what the industry wants 
and I I have this novel idea, and at a better way to farm, Dr. Mulvaney, our goal is to market products that follow your science. Our goal is not to try and get you to bend your will and just sing some song that we want to hear. Our job is to listen to what you're saying and figure out how to come to the marketplace with the products that are the best for the farmer. And so we appreciate your work so much. I just say thank you. Well, I I would just respond, Rod, by saying that I really appreciate your attitude on this issue because you're right. There's a certain contingent that is focused on propping up sales regardless, but science needs to have the freedom to go forward. And I totally agree with with what you just described. Well, I appreciate it. Any closing thoughts? I am going to get you out of here. I, I so appreciate your time. I know you're busy and I just am so grateful that you'll take your time to talk to us. But is there any closing thoughts here you'd like to share? Well, I would just say that scientists like farmers need to be open-minded to look at new possibilities and do what can be done to improve current practices. And I think a lot can be done, but we need to have the eyes to see the possibilities when they come before us. And I, I feel like that's my job in the scientific community. And a farmer accumulates a wealth of knowledge in the course of what they do. And for me personally, I learn from farmers probably more than they learn from me. And that's a great attitude. And I appreciate your humility. Well, guys, we're going to wrap this up. I, I just want to say thank you to Dr. Richard Mulvaney. I thank you for your work. Thank you for your willingness to pursue the truth, not an agenda. Thank you for your time of helping us here on the podcast. I look really forward to meeting you. We're going to post those links that he was talking about there to those studies on the, the Facebook page, Better Way to Farm. But guys, there's so much going on in ag, and it's so exciting to see the things that we're learning. And I've never been more fired up about being involved in American agriculture than today. And I think there's a lot of things that we can do. You guys know here, one of our credos that the Better Way to Farm is this. Everything that happens in ag is good for somebody. Our goal is to make it good for you. And so with that being said, guys, thanks for tuning in. If you want to talk to us, reach out 641-919-1206 with a phone call or a text. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Guys, we really do hope you're having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.